I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10.3. Canada has found itself in a sticky situation with China. Earlier this month, Canada arrested a top executive for Chinese tech giant Huawei, Meng Wanzhou, at the request of the U.S. Meng was wanted on fraud charges linked to violating sanctions against Iran. Huawei is the second largest smartphone maker in the world, but it's also a global player in making equipment to upgrade wireless networks to 5G, including here in Canada. Needless to say, the Chinese government wasn't happy, and it didn't take long for possible retaliatory action. Michael Kovrig, a former Canadian diplomat who's currently working in China for an organization called the International Crisis Group, was reportedly detained by Chinese authorities. We look at the fallout being felt in the wake of Meng's arrest, whether the situation could have a chilling effect on Canadian-China relations, and how tied in Huawei is with Canada's telecoms network. It's Wednesday, December 12th. Before we get to our conversation, I just have one reminder for you. If you're listening to this show on a web browser, did you know that you can get every episode directly to your smartphone? Just make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Marie Danielle Smith covers federal politics for the National Post. So, Marie Danielle, Canada has arrested on behalf of the U.S., a Chinese national on claims her company violated sanctions against Iran. I imagine this sent some shockwaves through political circles here and also business and diplomatic circles overseas. What's the latest that you're hearing on this file? Absolutely. I mean, this has caused quite a ruckus um, over the past week and a bit uh, since we found out that this high-level executive was arrested in Vancouver. The latest I'm hearing on it, uh, of course, has a lot to do with what is perceived as retaliation from China after Canada made this move. Uh, they've arrested or they've detained, at least from what we understand, um, a former Canadian diplomat who was in China from 2014 to 2016. He had done a lot of work to sort of do this intense political reporting for the Canadian embassy in Beijing. So he was doing things like, at the time, like talking to political dissidents and trying to give the embassy a good sense of what all of their positions are. Now, of course, for China and its government, you can sort of blur the line into claiming that that's espionage. Um, they have detained people for less, right? So. Uh, so mm -hmm. he finds himself in a tricky position, and the popular wisdom today is that it's because of this arrest in Vancouver, it's sort of sending a warning signal uh, to Canada that you can't just you can't just you know arrest a Chinese citizen without facing any tit for tat response from us. Now, originally after the arrest of Meng Wanzhou, it was perceived that because. This was on the insistence or on a U.S. warrant uh, that they were doing this on behalf of the Americans, that the retaliation may come more immediately against the United States and that any retaliation against Canada may be down the line. But obviously, this shows the risk uh, of what can happen when Canada kind of finds itself between these two big superpowers, right? Absolutely. And it does put Canada in a weird position. Um these two superpowers are in the middle of a huge trade war 
they're both putting tariffs on each other's imports in the hundreds of billions of dollars. This is not a small thing. The, the entire global economy um, could slow down considerably if this continues. Uh, so so the, on the one hand, there's all of this sort of economic tension. And for Canada to be in the middle on that is awkward because we, of course, have a trade agreement with the U.S. And we, of course, this government at least, appear to want to pursue a trade agreement with China as well. And then there's, of course, the political uh, side of things where we find ourselves uh, acting on behalf of the U.S. and China's not going to be happy about it. It is interesting, though, that just last week, the American and the Chinese presidents were talking about dialing things back and trying to put some of the trade tension behind them. And then this arrest comes to light and it seems to throw that whole question back into dispute again. Right. You know, it's interesting that on the one hand, the U.S. and China want to kind of work together to deal with some of these trade issues. But on the other hand, the U.S. is really sticking to its hard line uh, on companies and countries that do business with Iran. Yeah. So, I mean, this is obviously kind of inconvenient. And the timing is interesting because it was the same day that Trump and she um, agreed upon sort of a a ceasefire, I guess you could say, in this trade war. It was the very same day that that this woman was arrested in Vancouver. So, you know, we can talk about whether there's some kind of political implication to that. Uh, The Canadian government has very strongly said that there wasn't political involvement here, that, you know, Canada's leaders were not discussing this with the U.S. and planning it out in that way, in that kind of conspiratorial way. Um, The U.S. ambassador to Canada said just the same thing this morning. So, you know, we can, what we get from them, at least on the face of it, is that this just happened to be extraordinary timing and that the judicial, you know, process has begun. And even if China does want to retaliate, that process is going to get played out in the courts anyways, and there's nothing that they can really do. So how is this arrest and this court proceeding being seen by the other side. What is the sense of things from the Chinese government's perspective? So a lot of people could have probably expected this to be tied very quickly with the trade war between the U.S. and China and with the deal that was struck between President Trump and President Xi the same weekend that Meng was arrested. But instead, what we've seen from the Chinese media, um, who, you know, oftentimes are basically mouthpieces for the government. So it's a good way to understand what they're thinking. What we've seen is that um, they tend to decouple this issue from the broader trade war going on. They would rather not connect this arrest to the trade war, I think in part because this is not the end of the story with Huawei. This arrest is not sort of the last straw in what I think will be a pretty long battle over these tech giants and and Chinese tech giants' involvements in you know the systems getting set up in democracies. What we've also seen in the Chinese media is some pretty harsh criticism of Canada. So the arrest of a Canadian in China is not super surprising if you take it in light of how strong the that criticism has been. Now, the individual who was detained in China, uh, Michael Kovrig, 
he works for uh, a think tank and he's been previously critical of the Chinese government. He seems like someone who may be low hanging fruit for the Chinese government to detain, not excusing them doing that, mind you. But is there con- is there concern that, you know, companies who are doing day to day business and trying to expand business ties in China, is there worries about a cooling effect on their business prospects in that country over this arrest? For sure. There are concerns about it. I mean, on the business side, I guess there are worries about, you know, whether there might be some missed opportunities that result out of this cool down in the relationship. I would guess that this is sort of a bit of a warning signal, the detention of this former diplomat, given that, you know, his position as much as as much as I'm sure the Canadian government values this guy and he did some great work for the embassy uh, in Beijing, he's not, you know, a famous corporate darling the way that um, Meng is. So I th- you can see that it's not quite equivalent. And, and I think that raises some concerns for people who are waiting to see what China might do next. Um, they, of course, are trying to put a lot of political pressure on Canada to release this woman, although we can't really do that now that the process has been started. Um, so it, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's it's a tough position to be in, right? But, but they're putting on all this pressure. And so the concern is, will they do something else? And you start seeing people who regularly have dealings in China questioning whether they should go there. The most recent ambassador to Canada before our current one, uh, Guy Saint-Jacques, um, he told me today that, you know, he's going to have to think about it before he decides to go over there again. This has kind of sent a bit of a chill uh, down the spines of a lot of people. We'll be right back. The National Post launched 20 years ago to be a distinctive and surprising voice in the media landscape. Though much has changed over the past two decades, what hasn't is the core appeal of a paper dedicated to conservative values, interesting voices, unique perspectives, and a sense of fun. Check out what you've been missing. Get 20% off a one-year subscription to the National Post with promo code HAPPY20. That's HAPPY20. You know, when you're talking about dealing with a a major Chinese company like Huawei, it's not like you're talking about dealing with a company like Rogers or TELUS here. Even though it's a private company, big companies like that in China have ties to the government. The founder of the company, who is uh, Meng's father, has uh, military ties. What does this say about how Canada and Canadian companies deal with Huawei in the future? So that's a really good point. It, it, this issue does not revolve just around the fact that a Chinese executive was detained for whatever reason. This is one of the world's leading telecommunications companies having its chief financial officer detained for violating sanctions against Iran. There are huge national security implications to this from the United States' point of view. Um, there are huge implications from their point of view to dealing with Huawei at all. Um, Now, I don't think that there's any hard public evidence that this company has engaged in espionage, but there are all kinds of concerns over whether um, they could 
put code, for example, in some of this telecommunications infrastructure that's being used to build our next generation 5G wireless networks. For that reason, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States have banned Huawei from those projects. Uh, The UK has also set some fairly stringent security rules around what that company is able to do uh, with their 5G networks. So, you know, that's four out of five of the five eyes uh, members, uh, this intelligence community that we're a part of. We're the fifth member. And up until now, Canada has been pretty reluctant to place any limits on Huawei in the same way. So this arrest and sort of Canada's willingness to play ball with the U.S. on this issue seems to signal a bit of a shift there. Huawei may not have a huge chunk of the cell phone market, you know, compared to uh, Apple and Samsung in Canada, but they're still a big player. Just how integrated are they into the corporate universe in this country? Yeah, so two of our three big telecommunications companies, um, Bell and Telus, have dealt quite heavily with Huawei. And I think the figures being cited in some news reports over the past um, week is that it would cost about a billion dollars for uh, for Canada to sort of fully extricate itself from this company. So it has it has a pretty big economic cost. And, and, and while they don't have a big share of, you know, the cell phone market in Canada, they certainly are visible. And I think the example that we can all think of is that the Huawei logo is plastered all over Hockey Night in Canada. So if you want to watch a hockey game, you probably already know about this company. You may not know what it does, but you recognize the logo. Yeah, and this poses uh, security implications for Canada and political implications for the government. As I understand, the conservative opposition was asking pretty pointed questions of the liberals in the House of Commons regarding this uh, building out of our 5G infrastructure and Huawei's involvement with it. What are the conservatives asking the government and what is the government's response being? So basically, they're they're asking the government to to fall into line with the United States and recognize that you know whether or not there's public evidence of it that there are some kind of um, concerns around security here and that you don't want to sort of accidentally open Canada up to cyber security concerns uh, around Huawei's activities. There's been, I would I would actually almost call it a bit of a campaign by the Globe and Mail, um, which has sort of been at the forefront of the reporting on this, pushing on the Huawei issue, especially as the U.S. began to make some of its determinations. And I think that's really affected the way that uh, parliamentarians see the issue. The government has been a little more cagey so far. They say that, you know, our national security agencies are absolutely on top of this. They are testing, they are sort of independently testing all of the equipment that gets put into our networks and basically like, don't worry about it. That's that's their main response. That's reassuring. <laughs> so there's pressure, there's pressure on the Canadian government to do something about Huawei's involvement in building out the 5G wireless network in Canada. Is it expected that the government will actually do anything, whether it's going the route that the UK went by putting really strict measures on the company or going the US route by just saying, no, we're done. We're going to rip out all the work that's already been done and go with Ericsson from uh, Europe? 
Right. I mean, this is so this is pure speculation, but I would expect that if Canada does something, it will be more similar to what the UK has done. Because, you know, as we were saying, Huawei is so integrated in our systems already, that, you know, pulling it out would not only be really costly for Canada, but it would also further damage the Canada China relationship, which because of this arrest is really fragile right now. So my guess is that they'll either take a wait and see approach where they don't um, they don't make a decision just yet, and maybe they study the issue further with our national national security agencies, or they adopt some sort of basic set of principles in line with the UK that allows Huawei to continue operating, but puts some limits on how deep into our systems they can really get without um, without that extra layer of scrutiny. So where does Canada go next with this? Obviously, there's a process in place around Meng's legal situation and her status as to whether she gets extradited to the United States now that she's been detained and, and is facing charges south of the border. But where does where does Canada go from here? What are the next steps for the country? Or are we just waiting for the other shoe to drop when it comes to dealing with China? Well, I think, I mean, there's some stuff that Canada can probably do to try and advocate for the former diplomat who was detained in China. Um, and they say that they are pursuing that very actively. So on that front, you know, that's kind of the only thing they can really do at the moment. They can talk to China about about its sort of trade ceasefire with the US as well. They can sort of try to encourage that along. But as far as Meng is concerned, it seems like we're just kind of in a stalemate until the extradition hearings are finished. Um, the court will do its process. If there's political interference in that, it's only going to be worse for the government, of course. So there can't be any whiff of interference there. So yeah, I think it's kind of wait and see at this point. And I just wanted to mention, I, I was going to say this earlier, there's kind of a, an interesting irony to the conservative position on this. Not not necessarily irony, but um, <laughs> Huawei's main communications person in Canada actually quit the conservative party to take that job, and so he has a lot of he has a lot of friends who are probably um, on the opposite side now. And I'm kind of privately amused at that. Well, politics is a bit of an incestuous business, that's for sure. I you know <laughs> it it's is. a it's a fascinating story and one that we watch will be watching closely. Uh, Marie Danielle, thanks for your time. Thanks, Dave. Late Tuesday afternoon, Meng Wanzhou was released on bail. The ruling came after a three-day hearing that hinged on whether the Huawei CFO was a flight risk. Meng was released on bail totaling $10 million, including a $7 million cash deposit and $3 million in sureties. She'll have to abide by a number of conditions, including surrendering her passports, wearing a tracking bracelet on her ankle, monitoring by a security team, and abiding by a curfew. She's due back in court in February. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Stuart Thompson. Thanks to Marie Danielle Smith. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.